But I think, you know, one of the things we learned along the way was that when you've got a category that is new to a lot of folks, they're learning alongside you learning. And, and one of our, one of the ways that we addressed that was to actually provide dedicated event support during events for our customers, where somebody on our team would be there helping to manage speakers, make sure people are in the right you know, place, field questions from sponsors and exhibitors all in real time. And again, you know, putting ourselves in the weeds of our own platform and basically dog feeding ourselves there, we came out of each of those experiences saying, hey, we can make this thing better. What is going on, everyone? Joining us today is Jonathan Kazarian, a hedge fund savant turned founder and CEO of Excelevance, which is an awesome events management platform for in-person, virtual, and hybrid events. I highly recommend using the Excelevance platform. In today's discussion, we are going to talk about how Jonathan's revenue went from zero to 100, back to zero. Actually, it even went negative during COVID and how he leveraged that to double down on his business for scale beyond belief today. We're going to take a deep dive into the future of marketing, the future of events, and how a relentless focus on customer value, customer value has led Jonathan and the Excelevance team to new heights. This is the Dirt Podcast, and I am your host, Jim Barnish. To support us, please check out our sponsor, Orchid Black at orchid.black, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And now, my friends, here is Jonathan Kazarian. Jonathan, say what's up to everyone. How are we doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, man. So let's uh, let's start off at the at the beginning. What inspired you to create Excelevance, and and how did you get the company off the ground? You want to go way back, way back. So I had been hosting sort of like almost more like parties, but a bunch of events throughout college, after college, and at the end of one of those weekends, I got some unfortunate news. Found out that um, my cousin at the age of seventeen. Um, was sick and wanted to do something for her. Thought about running the marathon, but knew I could draw a little bit of a crowd and ultimately decided to rent out the aquarium in Boston and host an event. So I went down there. I was 24 at the time, put my credit card down. Had to sell 185 tickets to be able to pay my credit card bill and ended up selling 840 to that first event. But going okay. into that, realized that the technology that was out there was either crazy expensive, really hard to use, or the support didn't exist. And I'd been working, I'd been working at a hedge fund in a software group at the time. So I kind of knew the software world and decided to work with a friend and build our own solution. And it worked and we got great feedback on it. Ultimately decided to build a business around that. Was doing that nights and weekends for almost five years before I, I went full time with Excel events. So that's that's oh. the way back when. And there's been a lot that's happened since then. Yeah. So let's talk about that. What's happened sure. since? Yeah. So so we started off really focused on the fundraising space, fundraising and ticketing. And as things started to progress and our functionality expanded, we then started to lean more into the corporate space. I think in part because I had this data analytics background and that plus the world of marketing was just so interesting, the way that we could figure out how to use events to, to help support companies. And that's the path we went down. So I started the business beginning of 2015. Uh, I had a co-founder at the time. A couple of years in, you know, we were both working full time. He came to me and said, 
my heart's not here anymore. And, uh, and we ended up going our separate ways. Just still a very good friend of mine. I was talking to him this morning, actually. But, you know, at that point, it was, it was really just me. And, uh, and then 2019 came. We had hired our first salesperson. We ended up doing 375K in revenue that year. So things were starting to pick up. It was starting to be you know, more like a real business. Uh, sort of past the point of putting like, you know, my day job money in to support the, the operations. And it, it was looking like we were going to be able to do a million in, uh, in 2020. And then March of 2020 came and the world got, got flipped upside down, watched revenue not just go to zero, but because we were getting paid on the transaction fees from ticket sales mm-hmm. and all of these events were getting canceled. Not only was our revenue zero, but we actually had cash outflow. And everything mm-hmm. I'd spent the past five years building evaporated overnight. I just said I had nothing left to show for it. But we had been going down this path of, of, of sort of like a hybrid future, this belief that technology was going to play a bigger role in events going forward. So we had some of these building blocks in place for the move to, to virtual, virtual events, mm-hmm. that is. So I convinced my dad to invest 75K out of his retirement, pretty much at the bottom of the market of the COVID, uh, you know, bust in the, in the S&P. And, uh, and we used that to stay alive, to pivot and to launch our virtual offering. And we did that. And uh, by the end of 2020, we had done 3.4 million in revenue. So pretty much 10x the previous year mm-hmm. while having hit a point of essentially negative cash flow, negative revenue by you know the end of, of Q1 of that year. So that was that was the uh, the catalyst of the company that that Excel Events is today. Now we're focused primarily on the corporate space, a little bit of higher ed and associations mixed in there as well, but we're supporting the entirety of the event programming for you know organizations like Zapier, Carnival Cruises, you name it. And uh, it's really the business that that I'm super proud of and super excited of, of where we got into today. Yeah. Sounds like, I mean, no business is, uh, has its lack of struggles, but it sounds like, I mean, geez, to go, to go to negative revenue, you don't really often hear that. Right. Um, yeah. if anything, it dropped to zero. What was that emotional journey? Like as, as the founder of something that seemed like it was starting to, you know, hit its stride and then ultimately boom, uh, everything changes overnight. Depressing completely demoralizing. It's, um, you know, there's the feeling of like, you know, you lose a big deal. It's nothing like that. It's, it's so much more than that. And further exacerbated by the fact that I put basically my life savings into, into building it, you know, money I would have been saving was going into building our product, trying to launch marketing. And all of that felt like it was lost as well. Yeah. I didn't even know what I was going to do with my career because I, I was, you know, yes, I had this day job, but I, my heart wasn't in that and my heart was in what I was building. And then again, that was gone. And were you building this, you know, with, with other founders that you had, um, you know, had a, were able to share that pain with, or was it, was it, were you on your own? By this point, my, my one co-founder, um, you know, he had already exited the business probably 18 months before that, but I did have, I did have two employees at the time. Um, one of which is still with us today. Uh, he's the, the, um, salesperson who joined us in the beginning of, 
of 2019, director of our you know, director of sales for us today. So, you know, the the two of them were instrumental in us making it through that pivot. Um, and we had um, we had started to expand our international support team as well. And uh, you know, one one person who's still with us today, also on our international team, was also critical in that. And yeah, I mean, I think we were just there to support each other and figure out, hey, let's let's see what we need to do to make something work right now. And this time, we're like. Nothing in the world is working. So, as a as a business a solo founder, solo business owner at that point in time, but some strong team members that you had as a little bit more of a support system. It sounds like, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so how how did how did you as a leader? How were you able to lead back from that? Like, what you know? Obviously, you mentioned one of them still with you, right? Like. How did how are you able to come back from something so devastating as a business owner? I think when you get to this point where it's it's binary, right? Like the decision is binary. Either you just pull the plug and give up, or you say, "Hey, let's put everything we have and see what we can make happen right now." I I don't think I ever really thought about it that way. I like the way that you're asking. Yeah. I think I think to me it was always just a factor of this is like quitting isn't really an option, so. This is what we're going to do. And there was a couple month period there, two, three months where I'm kind of dabbling with different things. Like nothing was really working. And then there was, then there came this point where we like put these like Figma designs together. And, uh, and Andrew went out and started the salesperson, started pitching them. And he's like, man, we're like, we're onto something here. Mm -hmm. And then we started getting revenue, commits, cash. For a product we hadn't launched yet, and then we're like, "All right, now we really need to get after it and get this thing done," and uh, and things just escalated from there. Yeah, well, you've come a long way since. So, you know what, you know what what's been the recent road? I mean, obviously, high growth trajectory. You know, some pretty great things happening. The space has come back clearly from a virtual events perspective in spades. Um, but you've also got competitors who've raised a ton of money. Right. You know, when I say a ton, I mean, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Billions, um, billions of dollars. Yeah. Even, even more so. So like, how do you, how do you take what's been working? The fact that the space is booming, but others are more well-funded than you and it's kind of your differentiators and approach to, uh, to take, you know, uh, Excel events to the next level. Yeah. So that's a good question. So I, there was also this period when we realized that we were onto something and something was working where then we started to get a ton of VC interest, but I had never raised from VCs before. We didn't, you know, we were a tiny team. We didn't have a finance person. We didn't have any ops. I had a bit of a finance background, so I could at least talk the language, but I didn't have a model. I didn't have our data together. And uh, I remember waking up one morning and learning that one of our competitors who had already raised 40 million series A, raised 125 million series B and just being like, this is Whoa. it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be able to raise. We're done. And uh, that company went on to raise a 400 million round and then a $450 million round after that. So they've raised over a billion. Um, we don't even hear about them anymore, okay. which is wild. But I guess the takeaway there is that the capital isn't the catalyst, the customer is. And the success we've had is because from day one, we've been hyper-focused on 
listening to our customer. We set up a chat widget on our our platform, uh, Intercom, probably right around when Intercom launched. And I remember there would be times where like, at the time, my co-founder and I would rotate who could go on date night on Friday or Saturday night so the other person could be available <laughs> on support. There was times I'd yeah. pull over on the side of the highway to respond to customers. And that relationship we built with customers led to them treating us as a partner, which meant that we were learning so, so quickly from them. And that ultimately has been the, the, the most powerful catalyst, the most powerful motion we've had uh, driving the success that we've, we've had to date because our customers do see us as a partner. They know they're heard. They know action is taken on the feedback that they, that they share and that they're not wasting their time. Um, so if there was one thing I could suggest, it's just make sure your customers know they're heard and, and support them as much as you can. And in the space of events, you know, you, you spend three months building this experience that culminates in maybe three hours. You don't have 10 minutes to wait for a response. So you need to be there. And having come from the world of hosting events myself and having been burned by event tech in the past, I, 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 you know, I recognize that I, I felt it. So what, what are some of the biggest customer support related challenges that you guys faced or that you got that you, you know, really were able to go win more for customers? It's not that there's a particularly consistent path, but I think, you know, one of the things we learned along the way was that when you've got a category that is new to a lot of folks, they're learning alongside you learning. And, and one of our, one of the ways that we addressed that was to actually provide dedicated event support during events for our customers, where somebody on our team would be there helping to manage speakers, make sure people are in the right you know, place, field questions from sponsors and exhibitors all in real time. And again, you know, putting ourselves in the weeds of our own platform and basically dog feeding ourselves there, we came out of each of those experiences saying, hey, we can make this thing better or we need to fix this. And um, it wasn't like we were building in a silo. We were just, we were getting such real-time incremental feedback that allowed us to um, enhance what we were putting forward. And you know, as a customer would host one event and then they would host another event six weeks later or three months later, they would see the improvements that we had made over that period of time. And they would see uh-huh. that some of those things were things that they had shared with us. So it made them feel like that partner. And, and that ultimately made word of mouth an incredibly powerful channel for us. And, and what are what are some of the biggest challenges that um, that are facing events and, and those who run them today? Obviously, you know, the, those are continually evolving, but... But what are what are some of the biggest challenges? Yeah. So three years ago, at the beginning of the pandemic, event teams were slashed, cut in half. And then virtual was introduced. Today, the teams have never recovered in size. But the expectations on the event team is, hey, you're going to do the same level of in-person events, but you're also going to do twice as many uh, virtual events or digital events. So the workload has has more than doubled. And on top of that, there's been this huge transition in the way that events are, are viewed within an organization where data is just so much more visible and expected because of what be, you know, came out of, of virtual events. And that's changed the way that the CMO and the CEO and the demand gen teams are looking at their event programming. And that in itself mm-hmm. is also, it's also a, you know, an ask on that event team. They need to be able to 
provide the results, analyze the information, and, and, and from a quantitative perspective, continuously enhance these events and experiences. And mind you, events, they make up 25 to 30% of B2B marketing budgets. So it's a massive chunk of spend, right? It's not like, you know, it's not like a 2% spend where nobody cares. It's, it's got to be working. So these challenges have, have essentially meant that technology needs to be there to make life easier for event organizers, not just the night before their event, but throughout the entire process. And, you know, ultimately the way that we approach what we're building is, you know, if we can help an organizer get an extra hour of sleep the night before their event because they're a little bit less stressed than than we're doing our, our job. Yeah, and and what are what are some of those key factors, most important factors for event organizers as they're considering what event platform, what services, you know, how to bundle things to support their role? Um, yeah, like what are those? So I'll answer that by. We consider event tech often to fall within marketing tech. There's something like, I don't know, 7,000, 10,000 MarTech tools out there today. And one of the biggest challenges is that you've got this mix of platform solutions where they have a little bit of everything. And then you have these best of breed solutions. And teams spend so much time trying to connect these different tools together. And also because they may buy a platform tool that doesn't have a component. And it's not even that you know a basic component would be insufficient. It's just that it, it doesn't have anything. So now they've got to spend all this team time connecting tools, managing different tools, trying to figure out the data silos. Our approach is that it's one holistic platform, one experience where you can do everything you need. Certainly, you can connect your other tools if you need to. But we want to put you in a position where you're never forced to do that so that you're not prioritizing what you need to do to execute that event based on having to fill gaps in technology. And this also means that you don't have the data silos that would come out of you know, a discombobulated set of, of, uh, of, of tools here. Everything, again, is in one spot. And you really get to understand your attendee so much better as a result of that. So you know, again, not to say we're not big advocates of integrations, I'd, I'd, I'd actually venture to say quite the opposite. We think that because there's so much more data today, those core integrations, your your Salesforce, your HubSpot, Marketo, Parta, platforms like that, which are the system of record for that customer data, need to be incredibly deep because there is so much first-party data that marketers have the opportunity to, to really execute upon. So integ integration friendly, but when it comes to the event itself, more of a best of breed solution that doesn't require you cobbling together all sorts of providers. Usually the best of breed terminology is, is thought of like somebody is really, really good at one piece of that experience. And our goal is to be really, really good at every piece. But our bigger belief is that there's the core aspect of the platform which really starts with your event website and your registration experience, right? And then you've got things like managing your exhibitors, managing your speakers, running your virtual event, the video broadcasting component. And we have all of that under one roof. Yeah. And you can still bring in a different vendor or provider for some aspect of that, but we don't ever want to put you in a position that you have to. Mm -hmm. Have you found the need to educate folks on why 
bundling or why a standalone offering is better than bundling? Well, we're talking about it right now. So I guess the answer would be yes. <laughs> You're educating me, uh, that's for sure. So, but I, I actually think the answer is more no. And the reason is that they've felt this pain already. And that's why they're coming to us. Mm-hmm. And particularly over the past, you know, we're recording this in March of 2023, particularly over the past six to nine months where marketing teams, you know, have been hit pretty hard and particularly ops teams as well and marketing ops teams, the resources aren't there to connect these these different tools together internally. And mm-hmm. we don't want that to be a, a, you know, a reason that you can't create the event experience that you want to create. Yeah, immersive, engaging. I mean, you guys, you guys are really focused on the experience um, for your customers, and that feels like a real differentiator compared to uh, some of your competitors out there. Yeah. So when you think of the future of events, right? Um, And I obviously nobody would have predicted COVID happening (laughs) and that being the future that was experienced. But when you think of the, the future that's that that seems like it's in front of us. What is the future of events? You know, what are you guys planning for and thinking about? Yeah, so the the future is more about the entire event program. So it's that meshing of the in-person experiences and the virtual experiences. Yes, hybrid events may be in the mix there where you have some attendees in person and some virtual, but the bigger element is having those consistent touch points throughout the year. The um the two biggest transformational shifts that I think are taking place right now that have me so excited and confident about the future of events are the move towards first-party data, the, you know, the cookie-less future, the, the reduction in third-party cookie tracking, and you know, what that means for the necessity of first-party data. If you think about the different mechanisms for capturing first-party data, yeah, you've got things like white paper downloads and eBooks, but all that really gives you is a singular touch point. It doesn't give you any more information about that person, their interests, what they care about, how they engage, who they engage with. Events mm-hmm. do. And it doesn't matter if it's in-person or virtual. There's ways to, to capture that information. The other massive transformational shift, and you know, <laughs> this is obviously the top of every feed right now, but is, is what GPT is doing, uh, AI content. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, written form content is just getting so commoditized right now. What is working is authentic, organic, human-to-human conversations. And there's no better place for that than events. The companies that find ways to bring their community together, right, create, facilitate those, those environments, those events, where their customers can be their advocates, can speak on their behalf, can speak to their prospects, are the ones that are going to build those relationships and really have that authentic conversation take place. So those two, you know, those two elements, I think, are the biggest transformational shifts that we're experiencing and probably will for the next decade. And how do you plan for that in terms of your roadmap? Um, in terms of how you continue to differentiate what you know, you've talked a lot about your product approach in our conversations before, which I'd love, you know to some of that to get a lot to get out to the rest of the audience here a little bit but but aside from aside from that like how do you how do you plan for for the future of events yeah 
Well, one part of it is is education. So you know, you asked before, do we need to educate people around the all-in-one nature of the product? Maybe, but the bigger aspect is educating people around what they can do with all of this information and data that they're capturing. And you're seeing even in this past week, uh, we had Salesforce and HubSpot both drop new integrated AI, AI tools within their uh, their CRMs. Tools like that in combination with the data that you're getting from events is what is, you know, people like me, event event people, event tech people have been talking about data nonstop for three years. But, you know, we look at the way that data is used in our platform. Only 4% of the data is actually really put to use. Mm. Now with the way that we can take that information and understand past behavior of a customer, we can look at things like, hey, I'll use HubSpot as an example. Maybe HubSpot's hosting an event where a customer uh, who uses their CRM product and their, their marketing hub is checking out a bunch of sessions related to their service hub. How can we flag that and send personalized communication to identify if this person is maybe up for renewal with their other customer service tool? We should be getting on the, on the phone with them and figuring out where that cross-sell opportunity is. Um, so part of it, again, is the educational side. Another part is making sure that the flow of data does exist. And then on the AI side, AI is not replacing in-person experiences yet. I'm sure we're mm-hmm. very close to that, and I'm sure it's going to be augmenting them in the, uh, in the very near future. But um, you know, right now, we're focused on helping people create those experiences, finding the right people to meet with. And yes, AI can assist there, but again, it's not replacing that. Right. You, you, you hit on a lot of important points about customer satisfaction, about customer um, uh, you know, results. Um, what do you think the, the right balance between uh, general customer satisfaction and profitability for the business is? Uh, one-to-one. I, yeah, I'd rather, talk about that. I'd rather, I'd rather have a, uh, 100 NPS and break even company. Yeah. Um, why? The same reason that people are out there raising boatloads of money. They think that's going to be, you know, profitable for them two, three, four years from now. Um, we're, we're not on that train of going out and trying to raise buckets of money. We're more focused on making sure our customers are happy and that uh, word of mouth is spreading organically. It's almost like you're building for the customer. How novel. <laughs> Crazy idea, isn't it? Crazy no, but idea, I, think, yeah. I think you're spot on. It's building for the customers instead of building for the VC. Right, right. Or, some, or any other stakeholder other than the customer, right? When I'm just looking again from the customer lens of, Picturing myself as an event organizer, um, picturing I, I myself. I want to come, come back to that idea. I think there is yeah. an, there is an element of that that should be considered, though. When the company is profitable, that is an opportunity to return cash or to bonus employees. And because the quality of the customer service that you're putting forward is ultimately a result of the people that are behind that, right? Yeah. Everywhere from the way that the product is making people self-sufficient, the people that are creating the knowledge base articles, the people that are directly interacting with customers 
And um, if you're not recognizing and rewarding that, then that's not going to continue. So there has to be an element of profitability to ensure that um, you're you're continuing to push forward that that customer service mantra. I was gonna you, you bring up something. You got me off track, and now I'm getting us back off track. So I'm glad we didn't have a strict agenda for this because that's a really good point. And I wanna I wanna go back to something that we've talked about before, connected to the team, connected to building for the team. And the talent that'll ultimately take care of your customers, right? Because it is kind of yeah. a, it's 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 a loop, right? Um, and um, you've implemented some interesting strategies to to attract and retain and motivate uh, the Excelivance team. And you've also, you know, made some mistakes along the way uh, on on building a, a team, as we all do. You might just talking a little bit about. Um, you know, either side of that, whether it's the mistakes you made or some of the strategies that you've now implemented due to that? Yeah. Particularly on the customer service side, one of the most important aspects, I mean, empathy is probably number one, but I would say number two is a sense of urgency. Uh, Number three, this is not so much about the quality of the employee themselves, but in terms of managing that team is, is recognize the people that are really, really good at their job. Uh, our VP of, of uh, customer experience, she was promoted four times in like, I think two years, 22 months, mm. something like that. Um, Cause she's really good at her job. And she has that sense of urgency and that, uh, that makes a huge difference for that team. Uh, mistakes along the way. Yeah. I mean, I've made more than we have time to talk about in this, uh, in this recording, but uh, on the personnel side, when you know somebody's not going to work out, I've numerous times waited too long to uh, make that hard decision. And I, every time I've made that hard decision, have felt after the fact that I wish I had done that sooner. You and me both, man. Yeah. You and me both. Uh, what, uh, what, what things do you put in place now to make sure you do it sooner? Other than just, you know deciding to do it to be f- completely honest with you that's something I'm still working on part of it's being more metric driven we we had this whirlwind of the past couple of years where you know we were sort of to some extent at the mercy of the government and reopenings and forecasting was really hard so it was hard to hold somebody to a KPI because they could have done a good job and still significantly missed a metric or blown something out of the water could have gone either way. And that wasn't always a fair way to, to mark somebody. But I think what I'm realizing now is that the way that they support their colleagues, the ownership they take for the work and the sense of urgency that they carry is uh, yeah. a very good leading indicator of their longevity at the company. And how, how do you make sure you don't lose those types of people? It's a good question too. Uh, continued responsibility, which is much easier in a time where a company is growing, growing in headcount. And uh, we're in this era of, you know, companies aren't growing in headcount right now. So right. changing responsibility or increasing responsibility can be uh, harder to find. But people, good people want to be pushed. They want to continue to learn. They want to be challenged. And if you can find ways to 
continuously do that and not let them stagnate, uh-huh. then I think you're keeping them in a position where they feel like there's still something to be gained. Yeah. When, um, when you are communicating to your team and your team is serving your customer, you know, what is, what is that interaction like in terms of how it does come full circle for you where the, where you're serving the team and the team is serving your customers there, there any certain, uh, I won't call them silver bullets, but, but lead bullets that you, that you leverage as you're, as you're building that team and as you're helping them to be a better service of your customer. Celebrate their success. So we have a, a, ch- a channel we call Excel wins and we post, you know, any, any new sales, big new sales, big renewals, but also we post CSAT uh, customer satisfaction responses from support conversations. We post our NPS wins, we post reviews. So it's celebrating uh, every interaction and, and, and not diminishing the importance of, of every interaction with a customer. Yeah. And that those interactions are, I can imagine probably pretty cool. Sometimes any, any, uh, any that, you know, just really come to mind when you're thinking about outstanding customer support or outstanding customer service. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's numerous, uh, I think sometimes when it boils up to be more public facing, like, uh, Zapier, who's a customer of ours, there was um, some really cool tweets during one of their events referencing our, our platform. And that that felt really good to see. It felt like a, a really, you know, it was a big win, a, a, a big appreciation of everything that we've been working so hard towards in terms of the experience that we're enabling our event organizers to create. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You know, not everyone's a customer yet. So for those event organizers out there that are looking to maximize their event success, maybe that aren't customers today, what advice do you have for them as a, as a first step to maximize their events success? Yeah. So I think that also gets broken into two categories. You've got the folks who are already running events and they're looking to expand their program or make it better. And you've got people yeah. that have not hosted events yet. If you're in the category of we haven't hosted events yet, the best thing that you can do is de-risk that program by starting with virtual. It's far, far cheaper and still time-consuming to execute upon, but a lot less time-consuming. The other thing that you're going to do along the way is you're going to build an audience. You're going to build a relationship with sponsors, relationships with speakers, so that when you do go to launch that in-person experience, you've de-risked it. You know that there's going to be a baseline of folks who already trust and appreciate what it is that you're putting forward, and they're going to be there for that event. Mm -hmm. On the other hand of the spectrum, the folks that are running an event program today, look at where you're spending your time, where you're wasting your time, where you could be focused more again on the customer experience, in that case, the attendee experience, but you shouldn't be spending your time on technology, Mm -hmm. right? The technology is there to support your experience, to allow you to design and deliver the experience the way that you want. So make sure that you're working with a partner who's, who's supporting you that way. All right. I, uh, I like to close off every show the same way with uh, what I call the founder five. So it's five quick hit questions around your growth, 
uh, and the and the company's growth. So the first one is uh, number one metric or KPI that you are relentlessly focused on. NPS. NPS, net promoter score. Great. Yep. We've probably mentioned it a few times already. All right. The second one, uh, top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. Set up uh, chat support and make sure that your meeting response time 24-7 is less than 60 seconds. Oh, very good. Uh, favorite book or podcast that's helped you to grow as a founder? I really like the All In podcast. I don't know that's the most applicable for growing as a founder, but I just relentlessly listen every Saturday morning. It's a good one. Yeah. Any 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 other any others that you'd recommend? Tell you what, I've got I've got them all queued up in a LinkedIn post ready to go. So follow me on LinkedIn and uh and you'll see my 16, 16 podcasts I listen to. There we go. Nice plug. All right. Uh piece of advice that counters traditional wisdom. Don't quit your day job your your day job. Uh yeah, don't quit your day job. Figure out that you've got product market fit, that you're onto something. Too often, I've seen friends do this. They get excited, passionate about an idea. They try to jump into it and they run out of money and they don't give themselves a fair shot at something that could have worked because they didn't have enough time to do so. You can That's do it nights point. and weekends. You just have to be willing to put in the work. That's a great point. Everyone's so worried about, I'm not going to get funded until I have, you know, full... uh full-time availability. Well, maybe it's not time for you to get funded yet. Or maybe you don't need to get funded. That doesn't have to be right. the goal either, right? Focus right. on the customer. If you can focus on the customer, the funding will find you. Yep. I like that. Let's turn that into a quote. All right. Uh, what is going to be the title of your autobiography when you've accomplished all you set out to? Grit. I like it. Four letters. Nice. Exclamation point. Three exclamation points. Not period. Just, just period. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Grit doesn't. Okay. Grit's not exciting. Depends who you ask. I think grit's pretty exciting, <laughs> but it's it it should be foundational. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, so I I'll, I'll take the period. All right. Or you know I'll, um, I'll take that. I'll swap it and merge it with my my answer to uh, uh, traditional wisdom: stick to itiveness. Mouthful, but still good nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we've got a whole book cover to cover. Yeah, this is good. Um, all right, so um, to close us off here, John, um, you've given a ton back to our listeners today. Any? Uh, how can they help you out? Yeah. Well, if you're hosting events, let us know. We want to help you out. It's excelevents.com, A-C-C-E-L, events. Find me on LinkedIn. I'm going to be posting that list of, uh, of great podcasts to check out, with yours included. And uh, I post a ton of content about marketing events and technology. So let's connect. It's John what's Kazarian the, what's on the LinkedIn. Best way for, LinkedIn is the best place to connect with Yeah, you? Yeah, I'm trying to catch up with Twitter, but uh, running a company and managing multiple social platforms is a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I don't blame you. I'm a LinkedIn guy myself. Cool. Yeah. Any, uh, any last words of wisdom before we hop off here? Create more authentic connections, relationships, and uh, put events to work. Awesome. It's been fun, John. Thanks. And uh, thanks for joining us on The Dirt. Take care, man. Great. Thanks for having me on. 
If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.